Our scripture reading from the day comes from Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 10. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's a wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as a memorial, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone, and they saw only Jesus with them. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves. But they often asked each other what he meant by rising from the dead. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. When I read stories from the Bible, uh, my mind tries to put, like, put my own experiences into what I'm reading to help me relate to it. I hope this makes sense to you. Um, so today we have the story of Jesus and his buddies on the mountain that Chad just read to us. And when I read the story, it makes my mind wander a little bit into some like literal mountaintop experiences in my own lifetimes um, that were, this was like a major story. And so times in my life where something major happened on top of a mountain, like um, when I was, I think I was 10 or 11, uh, my family lived in Colorado for a summer um because my dad was working at a Young Life camp. And um, while we were there, I went, I hiked a mountain with my family and like hundreds of teenagers from Young Life camp. And we hiked up uh, Mount Chrysolite, which is like a 13,000, almost a 13,000 foot uh, mountain. And it was so beautiful. We get to the top and also it was really hard. So you like feel so accomplished and we get to the top and it's so pretty. Like the view is absolutely incredible. It was July and there was snow all over the other mountains and peaks and bowls and stuff. And so it's magic. And then we're standing up there and the Blue Angels, which is a, um, like a, a naval flight uh, demonstration crew, They, the Blue Angels fly in and to do a practice session. They're like practicing in the bowls and the mountains and the peaks and all sorts of things. And they see, you know, you kind of spot 100 or 200 or however many hundreds of people on top of a mountain. So they see us. And so they do this like performance for us in the mountains, um, except it was incredible because we were so high that we were watching them like from above. We were watching them perform down below. And it was Un, like, I don't even have words. It was indescribable. It was absolutely incredible. Um, another time that I thought of this week as I was reading this passage was, um, uh, it was a few years ago on New Year's Day, uh, we hiked Max Patch with a couple of our friends, Daniel and my boys and I, and um, uh, some of our very dearest friends. And Max Patch is a bald outside of Asheville, North Carolina. If you've never been there, 
today is maybe the day. Google it. It's, it's incredible. It's so, 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 so beautiful. Um, so we hike it. And like I said, it was New Year's Day, except um, it's important that you know it was New Year's Day 2017, January 1st, 2017. Um, I don't know how you would describe 2016. Um, I think for a lot of people, it was a really tough year. Uh, my words to describe 2016 are it was the most excruciating year of my entire life. And I was ready to end that year. Uh, so this hike, even though there were no blue angels performing right below us this hike on a new day of a new year uh it was so formative in my life and so restorative for me it felt like this I don't know this fresh look uh that everything was going to be okay I, it, it was amazing and so as I read our text for today, for this week, um, these are two of the moments from my own life that I thought of frequently as I tried to place myself into this story. And, in, and here's why. I placed myself into this story in an attempt to understand what on earth is happening in this story. Uh, we talk about this story every single year at the Vineyard, and I describe this story the same way every single year. It is bananas. It's bananas. So let's jump in. Um, we have Jesus and his inner circle, his, his three dearest friends, and they head up a mountain to spend time alone, just the four of them. Uh, side note, this is a really good practice uh, to head to the mountains to spend time alone or in a small group of the people closest to you. Uh, so if your soul is in need of a reminder that is a good and holy thing to reset in the mountains, uh, consider this your sign. And we live very close to some mountains. So if you're watching this in East Tennessee, go spend some time in the mountains to reset. Okay, that was side note for free. So they get up, uh, Jesus and his three friends, they get up to the mountain and uh, something wild and something bananas happens. Uh, but I want to give you a little bit of setup for it um, to kind of tell you what the, the weeks and days right before this look like. Uh, so if you go back a few chapters in the Gospel of Mark, um, if, if you read, here's a thought, okay, if it, throughout the Gospels in the book of Mark, Jesus's buddies, uh, his disciples, they spend a lot of time just trying to figure out and understand what on earth is going on and trying to figure out and understand and get their minds around what and who exactly Jesus is. Uh, their confusion, which takes place uh, all throughout the Gospels, their confusion is of great comfort to me. I hope it is of you if you've ever been confused uh, in the Bible. So are they in the very presence of Jesus. So um, they see wild and incredible things done by Jesus. And more often than not, than not they find themselves having more questions than answers. Even the story that, that Chad read, the last thing is like uh, they kept talking about how they were still confused. Um, so two chapters before our story today, Jesus, if you remember, um, he, they're on a boat and this crazy storm comes and Jesus, he calms the, the storm and, and it's, it's incredible. And the disciples, after Jesus calms the storm, the disciples look at each other and they say, who is this? They say, who is this that even the wind and waves obey him? They've spent a while with him and they're looking at each other saying, who even is this? Uh, right before this story um, on the wild mountain takes place, uh, the chapter before it, Jesus, who has um, the chapter before that fed 5,000 people uh, with barely anything. Um, the chapter before what we read today feeds 4,000 people with 
a few loaves and a few fish. And right after he feeds 4,000 people, Jesus and his disciples, they get on a boat and they're going to travel to the other side and on the boat. So they've just left the feeding of the 4,000 people. On the boat, Jesus' disciples start to argue with each other because they don't have enough food and they didn't bring enough bread and they don't know how what they're going to do about it. It's, it's, it's hysterical. It reads hilarious. Jesus literally comes to them and says like, seriously? Seriously, in a very short amount of time, I have fed over 9,000 people with barely anything and you have no idea how we're gonna get food. Uh, he looks at them and he says, do you not understand? Like, do you not understand who's with you and what I am? They just, they don't get it. They truly don't get it. But at the very end of chapter eight, right before we pick up in chapter nine of Mark, right before they head to the mountain, there's this story that feels like a lot of the pieces just kind of come together. At the very end of chapter eight, Jesus, he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they have this conversation about who people think Jesus is. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter uh, blurts out this perfect answer. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the one we have been waiting on. And for the very first time in the scriptures, Jesus' friends and followers, they declare him to be the one he has uh, always been declaring himself to be. And it's a breathtaking moment, an amazing moment. And if you read it, uh, you see it's a moment of seeing that is then immediately followed by a moment of confusion. So that happens, this magical, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus, um, his, his response to that is to tell them and trust them with some new information. And he says, I'm gonna die and here's what it's gonna look like. And he talks to them about his death. And then Peter blurts out again. Oh, here's a long story short. Jesus calls Peter Satan. We don't have time to get into it today, but you should read it this week because it's unbelievable uh, if you're up for it. So end of Mark chapter eight. But, um, but they just get all confused. They get all turned around. Uh, and again, in a way it makes me feel less alone because as soon as I think I get it, so many more questions rush in for me. I, um, I don't know, maybe it's the same for you. Uh, so it's here within this context that Jesus takes his friends up the mountain. Um, right on the hills of these big miracles and right on the hills of this big question and right on the hills of uh, this interaction of confusion where Peter doesn't understand about Jesus dying. And so uh, like Chad read us at verse two, six days later, so six day, meaning six days after they've had this conversation about Jesus and his death. Um, uh, six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a mountain to be alone. And as the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. Uh, theologians call this story the, the Mount of Transfiguration because it's here that Peter and James and John see Jesus completely different than they have ever seen him before. When you study the word transfiguration, the word uh, literally means uh, what's happening on the mountain. The, the word means it's a, it is a change in appearance that unveils or uncovers what is most true. A change in appearance unveiling what is most true. Uh, not that the object have, or the nature of the object has changed, but that the nature of that object is in some way more clear, some way unveiled, some way uncovered. Here's an example. 
Um, on that New Year's Day hike I was talking about to Max Patch, uh, my friend Rodney snapped this picture of my youngest son, Huck. So we're going to get this picture on the screen. Um, this is Huck. Uh, my youngest boy, and, and Rodney, my buddy, he took this picture of him, and I, I love this picture because in, in so many ways, Rodney, with his camera, unveiled the true nature of Huck. It's like Huck's picture of transfiguration. Um, I remember looking, he, he sent me this picture later, and I remember looking at it thinking, this is the most Huck picture that has ever been taken. I still think that's true. Like, as I was trying to find it to get to Sam and Q to get on the video, I, I think it is the most Huck picture ever taken. It's, it's who he is in his most natural form, who he has become in the four years since the picture was taken. These things are so evident in this moment. Uh, today, he's still a boy covered in mud, just like the picture. His, his wildness is even more on display than, than uh, when he was four when this picture was taken. He, he looks uh, in this picture, he was kind of in between being a baby and becoming a boy, and, and, and he, he, he looks looks like this boy and all of these things are still true that are still true about him are on display in this moment in this picture uh the best way I know how to describe it is is in this picture it's like his insides are on the outside if that makes any sense at all uh, in helping to explain the idea of transfiguration, uh, Frederick Buechner, he says, every once in so often, something so touching, so incandescent, so alive, transfigures the human face that it is almost beyond bearing. Uh, as his mom, that is this picture for me. Like to you, it was probably a super cute picture of a kid on a mountain. Or if you know Huck well, you probably were like, yeah, that's Huck. But as his mom, to me, this is a picture of something so incandescent, so alive, transfiguring him in a way that is almost beyond bearing for me. I love it so much. It's a picture that grasped in such a fullness the true nature of my boy in a way uh, more obvious than any other picture I have of him. And we all have moments like this or, or pictures like this, moments and things in our lives that are so beautiful, so incredible that they show you uh, the most true in you or the most true in someone else or the most true about something. Moments where in the inside seems to burst to the outside. This is what's happening for Peter and James and John uh, to the nth degree on the mountain. Uh, they have known Jesus. They've walked with Jesus. They've followed him and learned his ways. They, they have been with him almost every second for years. But in this moment, his appearance changes. And in this moment, uh, it, what has been revealed is the most true. It is the most clear uh, picture they have of his very nature. In this moment, they see not only their friend and not only their rabbi, they see the unveiled glory of God. Uh, there's an incredible Catholic theologian named uh, Hans von Balthasar, and, and he believes that the word glory in the scriptures is synonymous with the beauty of God. That when you see the word glory, you can just exchange the beauty of God. And further on uh, in that, von, ba von Balthasar believes that the, that the essential starting point for any human encounter with God is to glimpse that beauty. 
a glimpse or a gaze at the radiance, the mystery, the, the beauty of God. This is why we're drawn to art and mountains and bluest oceans and yellowest and reddest and orangest leaves in the fall, uh, glimpsing the beauty, the unveiled beauty of God, the glory of God. And Peter and James and John, they gaze on it. They experience it in this moment. And then they realize that Moses and Elijah are standing with them, and it's almost more than they can take. So Peter does what he always does or what he does best, and he blurts out. I love that in our reading of the story today, it says, he didn't really know what else to say, so he said this. Uh, I live in that feeling most of my life, so I can totally relate to that. Um. He doesn't know what else to say, so he says, let's build some tents. Let's build some shelters. In the original language, he said, let's build three tabernacles, three pet places uh, for the glory of God to dwell. Uh, three places for the wonderful that I'm experiencing to stay put. And it's the wrong answer, but I don't blame him. Because I think we can all relate to that. When we taste something good, all we want is more of that. Uh, when we taste something transfigured into its best state, its most natural state, it cannot help but also transform us, and we want more. I, I do this all the time. I find something wonderful, something wild, something exciting, something transfigured into its most true version, and I just want more. I just want to stay there. I just want to build a tent and never move away from it. And that's what Peter's doing. Uh, remember, Jesus, right before they leave, six days before they leave, has just told his friends that he's going to die. And I have to wonder if there's something in Peter that is, is hoping that, that this might be an out, that this magical thing has happened and now what Jesus told him isn't true anymore. It's, if he's not uh, only longing for the amazing things he's experiencing in this moment, but also if he's longing to hold on to what feels so good and so uh, the glory of God that he experiences in Jesus day in and day out, if he just wants to hold on to what feels good and right to him a little while longer. I can relate to that. He is experiencing the connection with God that Chad talked to us about last week in a more radical way than he ever has before, and he wants it to last. So Peter, he blurts out, let's stay here. Let's stay here. And then the wildest thing of all happens, and that is saying stuff, something, because the story is bonkers. Um, a cloud comes over them, and then behind the cloud is the voice of God. In another passage, it says, while Peter was still talking, God's voice comes on the scene. Uh, Camel Morgan, who is a theologian, I think I'm quoting every week lately, he says uh, that the voice of heaven had to interrupt the voice of earth so that the speech of the eternal could be heard. God interrupts and he says, this is my son in whom my pleasure dwells. Listen to him. Another translation says, this is my son marked by my love. Listen to him. The voice of God, the divine voice coming from the cloud. I think it's interesting on a bunch of levels that we don't have time for today that Moses and Elijah are present in this moment uh, because they both, both of them heard the voice of God. Moses heard the voice of God in a burning bush and Eliza, or Eliza, Elijah poked his head out of a cave and heard the still small voice of God. And now it's Peter and James and John's turn. 
And God says this. He says, this is my son marked by my love. Listen to him. If, uh, if you look at the original language of uh, the word listen here, it has these um, connotations of obedience to it of a listening that's not just with your ears, but a listening that's with your mind and your heart and your soul and your body. It's listening with action. I think that's the invitation of the mountain, listening with action. Uh, I want to spend our last few minutes here, this idea of listening. Uh, I heard a teacher this week that I really respect, um, his name is John Mark Comer, and, and he was describing life as a follower of Jesus, and he said it in the most simple and profound way. He said, following Jesus is a lifetime of turning and yielding. Turning toward Jesus and yielding to Jesus. Turning and yielding. I think that's the invitation of the mountain, an invitation to listen with action, an invitation to turn and to yield to Jesus. It's an invitation of intentionally living a life toward Jesus, of turning toward him, of, of, of recognizing his power and his glory and his presence uh, in, in our lives, to, to recognize what he's up to in our lives, to recognize what he's up to in our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers and our students and the people that we come across in their life, what he's up to all over the world. It means turning to Jesus uh, to show up uh, to find true connection, like Chad talked about, um, through his word and his people and creation and all kinds of placing, places, turning as a sign of waking up to God's presence uh, and his glory in our lives and in our world. And it's also listening, uh, or listening also looks like yielding, uh, to yield to what you find when you turn to Jesus. It's an open hand, I keep doing this, because it's an open-handed posture uh, to whatever Jesus may want to do in you, or with you, or through you. Listening is not just uh, turning to the things and ways of Jesus. It's also yielding to his presence and power and hope and glory in a way that transfigures and transforms our lives. It's living toward. Uh, I think God's command to listen is a command to live toward in the, in the ways and the works and the power of Jesus. Uh, I can listen to Daniel, my husband, uh, when he's talking to me. I can listen to what he says, but what I'm slowly slowly learning is that most often Daniel or my kids or my friends or my coworkers, most often um, what they're asking for is connection more than just hearing. They aren't asking me just to take their words. They're asking me to live toward them, uh, to turn toward them, and often in some way to yield to them. So here's what I want to do. I want to spend a few minutes of quiet. Uh, we do a Selah every week, uh, and so we're going to this week. I want to spend a few minutes of quiet here in this invitation from the mountain. Um, I want to offer you a practice uh, that can open yourself up to what it looks like for you to listen with action, for you to turn and yield. Um, sometimes for me, um, when I'm trying to find the words to apply what I think the Spirit is saying to me, sometimes words fail me. And so I just want you to know it's okay to borrow the words of someone else until you have your own. Um, and so that's why we like read prayers that saints have written for thousands of years because um, we the words are good and they can wake up things in us and they can help us in this turning and yielding. So today I want to read a prayer. It's called the Welcome Prayer. Um, it's by uh, Father Thomas Keating. 
Um, and it will be in the notes. It will You can uh, copy and paste it and put it anywhere um, so you can have it in the future if it's helpful. Um, and I love this prayer because for me, it helps me do the very thing we've been talking about. It helps me turn toward Jesus and it helps me yield to his power and presence in my life uh, to open my hands and my heart to what God's doing uh, in the world and in my world. Uh, so I think sometimes in the Bible Belt, uh, we have been taught that turning and yielding is sort of like a one-time thing. Uh, like it's a prayer you pray once, or it's what happens at baptism, or when we walk down an aisle, or something like that. Uh, but that is not in any way, shape, or form my, been my experience with Jesus. It just isn't. For me, turning and yielding is like three times a day, or like every 10 minutes, or after a really long time when I just haven't, because I don't want to. Uh, it's a it's a continual practice, a continual thing. Here's the truth. I am terrible at yielding. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I'm terrible, especially if I'm confused or afraid. The very things that Peter and James and John were, confused and afraid, and yet this was the invitation from God. Listen with action. Turn and yield. So I'm going to pray this prayer over us, and then we'll come to the table together. Welcome, welcome welcome. I welcome everything that comes to me today because I know it's for my healing. I welcome all thoughts, feelings, emotions, persons, situations, and conditions. I let go of my desire for power and control. I let go of my desire for affection, esteem, approval, and pleasure. I let go of my desire for survival and security. I let go of my desire to change any situation, condition, person, or myself. I open to the love and the presence of God and God's action within. Amen.